Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of Design EDU Today, the podcast series discussing topics concerning the state of interactive design education at institutions of higher learning. I am your host, Gary Rosance, Assistant Professor of Graphic Design at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Today's guest is Dorel Rabinowitz. Dorel is an, an experienced design leader, information architect, and storyteller. She is currently Senior Director of UX for PayPal's NextGen Commerce Team, a small, cross-disciplinary group that tackles strategic, contextual commerce and financial services initiatives. Previously, Durrell was the design strategist for Intuit's Harmony Design System, where she helped teams design across an ecosystem and be increasingly uh, design-led. Before that, Durrell directed UX teams at eBay, Google, and Yahoo, was an information architect at Razorfish, and produced Oxygen.com's Our Stories site. Durrell has a deep expertise in system-level creation and development of design languages, as well as a passion for solving complex business problems with great design. Welcome, Darrell. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to have you. Um, so we're just going to dive right in. And my, my first question is, what is information architecture? Or for the interactive design educator, how is information architecture different from having students draw wireframes with the content that we hand to them? Hmm. Well, information architecture <clears throat> is basically the practice of deciding how to arrange the parts of something to be understandable. It's about organizing information, and it's a, IA is an important skill within the entire user experience disciplines such as content strategy, library science, and interaction design. And creating the information architecture and the wireframes are linked together. You have to figure out what the information is before you know how to arrange it, but the hierarchy of the information also heavily influences the IA. All right, so, so where, then where does content strategy fit in to the information architecture process? It's, it's just so tightly intertwined. In many companies, there's a content strategist who also does the information architecture, or there's two people and they work together. One of the, one of the um, things that information architecture, uh, architects do is actually do a content audit, and that's the same thing that a content strategist would do. So, you know, there's a lot of overlap between all of the UX disciplines. And sometimes there's multiple people doing each of these. Uh, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking. Sometimes there's multiple people doing each practice, but sometimes um, there's one person doing everything. All right, so it, it's, it, so it's a discipline that, you know, has its unicorns, but also has its... Uh... You know, sometimes you want to have deep knowledge, yeah. right? So there are information architects who are really strong in things like taxonomy and who understand how to label different types of content and what kinds of content works with other kinds of content. And then there are other information architects who are more generalists and who are good at figuring out how everything works together. And you might actually call them, say, an experienced designer, and they practice IA as part of that. Okay. Um, so 
I'm a little unfamiliar with the process, and I'm, I'm sure others are as well. So, so what, what type of process will an information architect go through um, to arrive at the end result? And what is their end result? What do they deliver? So most information architects practice what we like to call user-centered design, and that means that they really want to understand who the users of their product are. Um, but there's also, uh, uh, you also need to understand what the business goals are of what you're creating. And there's kind of an intersection between user needs and business goals. And to get to that intersection, you need to do design research, speak and talk to users, um, observe them, do contextual interviewing, um, stakeholder interviews to understand the business goals. Um, and once you have that, you might actually say, okay, for this target user, I want to think about what are the tasks that they need to do to accomplish this business goal. Um, and you might create what we like to call a, a user flow, um, task one to task two to task three. And for each of those tasks, you might break that down into subtasks. And already now you're kind of building what we like to call a flow or even a sitemap. You can do information architecture for apps and sites, all sorts of different things. Um, and as you're building out what the steps that that user is going to take to accomplish the goal, you're figuring out, hmm, I might need to wireframe this screen or maybe this can all be done on one screen. Um, then there's the practice of thinking about okay, if it's a whole site and I know that there are multiple tasks that users have to do, there's multiple kinds of content, I'm going to have to figure out what that content is. So that's where you start with an existing content audit um, and or make an audit of the kinds of content that you think you need to accomplish the goals. I would do that in a spreadsheet and literally lay out, you know, here are the sections. Um, but what's really interesting is that in my brain, and how I might organize something might be really different than your target user, right? I'm really technical and I've worked in a lot of apps and I know my way around, but your target user may actually be somebody who rarely uses their smartphone or, you know, whose who's work involves uh, um, a whole different way of looking at things. So you need to put yourself into their heads to understand how to organize it. And we often do something called a card sort with actual prospective users of whatever it is you're building. And that helps organize the information. So you take, you make cards of each piece or chunk of data and you ask the users to organize it into buckets. And those buckets could actually become the navigation of your app or site. Um, no, that's a, that's a great explanation. Um, I have, so the process that you just described um, makes perfect sense for when there's existing content. How is it different than how is the diff how is information architecture's approach different when there isn't existing uh, content or it's a new product or a new service? Well, so that's really where the content strategy comes in and the collaboration between the strategist, the content strategist, and the IA. So now you have to figure out, okay, if I want to accomplish a particular task, what kinds of content do I need to accomplish that particular task? And or is there a business goal in, 
in this, you know, scenario as well. So maybe um, adding um, a new way to pay for something. I work at PayPal. Yep. Maybe I'm adding a new payment product, um, but I also want to highlight some other products that we have, right? So in that case, maybe I need to figure out how important is task one, right? Adding a new payment product related to, oh, I'm trying to upsell another kind of product and how do I write the content for that? And so typically, you know, it's it's a matter of collaboration of what do I need? How do I describe what needs to be accomplished or you know, what kind of content needs to be written. So in an ideal world, um, how involved will the visual designer be in working with uh, the information architect and vice versa in those early stages? So, you know, it's really interesting to me because every team I've been on has been slightly different, <laughs> um, <laughs> right? And you adjust how you work depending on that team. But once you start getting into wireframes, and I have to be clear, I would work on a wireframe at the same time that I'm developing the sitemap <coughs> and the navigation, and I'm going back and forth between them because they influence each other. But once I have a really clear idea of what's the most important information on the screen, that's when I'm going to bring in the visual designer, and we're going to talk because I'm hopefully making a wireframe that is close visually, at least in hierarchy, to what the final design would be. So that's when I talk to the visual designer about what's the goal we're trying to accomplish and what needs to be highlighted where, and and that's the collaboration to begin with. So they can even start thinking about that while I'm still working on the wires. All right, so that that's perfectly leads into my next question. So generally, in most BA, BFA um, graphic design programs, Students are given a design brief with a list of requirements, and they're probably given the content. So this method of delivering projects to students skips the important step of information architecture and encourages students to immediately start focusing on the visual aspect of the design. Um, how should educators be managing this process while still, you know, leveraging and trying to be, you know, leaning towards strong visual literacy for students. You know, I was thinking about this because I did actually study graphic design as an undergraduate, and I never even thought about who would be using what I was designing. But what I did think about was, because I was thinking a lot about systems design, and if I'm designing, say, a book, I do have to think about all the pages that exists everywhere versus the separate content on each book page and how do I divide the book up. And that's actually what led me into information architecture because all of a sudden I was designing the structure of the information. And so there's a really tight relationship between graphic design and information architecture. But I wasn't really taught that in school. And the thing that I see with new students especially in visual design coming out of programs, is that they don't have an understanding of the user-centered design process. So they aren't thinking about the end user, and they aren't thinking about what goal you're trying to accomplish as much as they're trying to think about making things beautiful. And trust me, I think that's very, very important, but there are other goals to what we're designing for the real world in terms of making something usable or selling something. 
So you need to understand your end user. So I would try to encourage uh, educators to think about maybe having the students talk to some um, actual users, you know, start at what is the problem. Oftentimes in my world, I don't even know what the problem is. You know, I have to think about what they're, what my client is asking me to do and actually figure out, okay, really what, what do I need to solve here before I even jump into a design? Yeah. And I, so to just kind of like follow up on that a little bit deeper. So essentially the, the visual designers, kind of the way we're training them now is, um, they're going for, you know, making it visually, aesthetically pleasing and easy for the user to, to, to see. Um, but so now, but so what they are missing is the fact that they've got to realize that that, that, that content that they were given, that hierarchy wasn't an arbitrary decision that they can just go, that trumps, you know, that their visual can trump <laughs> the importance of that information. That's so that, right. So that's what they're missing, really. That's right. Okay. That's right. And and also, um, you know, that's that's where the collaboration comes between the visual designer and the IA in terms of no, the purpose of this screen is to ha- is to have users click on this button, and everything else is less important. So, or everything on the page has equal importance. It could be the same information, but you need to highlight, you know, you could design it in multiple ways. So you need to understand what the problem is you're solving. Okay. And I, you know, I, I, that really actually cleared it up, crystallized it more in my head. I mean, I've been wrestling with in the classrooms, like, how do I, um, how do I introduce content so they can start designing on it? Um, you know, cause you want to give them the freedom to visually arrange it, but I, I, I feel like I'm just going to start saying, no, these things are non-negotiable. These are what users have determined is the most important mm-hmm. thing. So you can't change the importance. You, <laughs> It has to stay there. Um, all right. So based on your experiences, what are interns and entry-level interactive designers uh, missing that design educators should be addressing in the classroom? I think there's a bunch of stuff. Um, the first thing I thought I, I'm thinking of are soft skills. So when I look at a designer and a new designer, I, I look at their core skills, right? Can they, I don't know, can they figure out the hierarchy? Do they understand the visual literacy and how to use typography, et cetera? But around the, co- the soft skills, um, the core skills are their soft skills. So communication, compromise, negotiation, in my world, this is really, really important. You need to be able to articulate your design decisions. You can't just say, here, look at what I did. You need to say, I made this button large and blue in the left corner so that your eye would go to it first. And and there's a reason for that. And that articulation of the design decision is something that people, usually a junior designer, doesn't quite understand. Um, telling the story of what the user is going to accomplish when they're using this design as opposed to just showing the design. Because frankly, everyone on my team is going through multiple design reviews with various, what we like to call stakeholders, mm-hmm. even within the company. And so if you're explaining something to me and you dive into the typography details or something, that's fine. But to my boss really is only concerned with business results. So 
that designer needs to be able to explain how this design is going to affect those business results. So that's one thing. And a lot of that they learn on the job I, you know, by mentoring and just watching. Um, the other thing I think that's really important to think about is that there's no perfect project in the real world. Often you have conflicting requirements, <laughs> lots of different people to talk to, pieces everywhere. And sometimes, you know, you'll do something really, really beautiful and the head of the, the group or company will be like, I don't like yellow. Well, how do you even respond to something like that? <laughs> so there's a lot of, I guess, unknowns in the real world. And, and so being able to handle last minute changes, being able to deal with ambiguity is really important. And my pet peeve is making your deadlines. If you can't make your deadline, don't tell me five minutes before you don't make it. Tell me maybe the day before and I can save it. But I can do something about it. But if you tell me five minutes before you're about to present to the big wig that you're not going to do it, I'm not going to be a happy camper. <laughs> um, yeah, that seems to be a, a, a problem <laughs> that I, I can't quite understand because it's pretty obvious. Just get it done on time. Um, I, you know, and I also, I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, that thing about yellow, because I think that's another thing that, um, I, I, I think educators in general, but I say, I personally don't do enough to stress that, um, you're going to get that. But if you have the research to say why it has to be yellow and you can articulate the facts, it becomes a much less tougher sell. Which is why we do do a lot of different types of research from fast pr prototypes to A-B testing to say, actually, this version worked better and here are the stats. So the more you can use data to back up your design decisions, the happier you'll be. And there's lots of different kinds of data and research, too. There's quantitative, right? So mm -hmm. on a, a big amount of uh, responses, but there's also the qualitative, which is I talked to eight people and eight people were able to accomplish this task compared to the previous design, etc. Yeah, and that's the that's really really difficult for educators to. I mean, for students when they're doing a project, they don't have that nuts and bolts research data in a graphic design program to be able to back up their decisions. It's kind of one of those catch-22s. It we is. Could, we could spend so much time on research that we're not going to spend time on visual. But you could do yeah. some really fast guerrilla research on the street. Mm -hmm. I mean, we even do it all the time. Here's my, here's my prototype. What do you think? Can you do this? You know, sit at a train station and ask people walking by. Yeah. No, that's, and that's something that we need to start, educators need to start um, doing a better job of. Um, so I have time for uh, one more question. Uh, so specifically, uh, what type of projects or experiences would you like to see um, design educators incorporating in the classroom that maybe you don't see right now? I think it depends on the program, but mm -hmm. um, I would love to see a little more understanding of the entire um, user-centered design process. Um, so the fact that there are multiple disciplines working together on a team, and I think it, some team projects would be really helpful. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I, I had somebody as, as a, an intern come in, though, and he had been working on a team, but it wasn't really clear what he had been doing on that team. <laughs> and, um, you know, sometimes you get a team of all leaders and sometimes you get a team with a strong leader. And um, so as somebody that hires folks right out of school, I often need to really suss out what was their role on the team project. So clear. So that, that's easy enough to do to give them clear roles. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they can articulate them as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So is there um, anything that you are working on personally that you would like to share? Or is there something that you want to, you know, promote within PayPal or personally? So I have two things I wanted to say. If you're interested in learning more about information architecture, there's an organization that I have been lucky to be part of from the beginning, which is the IA Institute. And there's a website, iainstitute.org. Um, you can also read the what we call the Polar Bear book, which is called IA for the Web and Beyond. These two will really give you a background in all the things I've just said. Mm -hmm. um, and personally, I think I'd love everyone to go check out harmony.intuit.com, which is the project I was working on before I came to PayPal. And it it's just uh, uh, tears and sweat. And um, and it's basically a design system. And, and if you're interested in all aspects of design from visual to interaction to content, it's all there, our guidelines for Intuit Small Business Group. Oh, great. And I'm going to actually uh, say... I. I don't know how long you've been at PayPal, but the, over over the past couple of years, they've really stepped up their their usability game because you know I use PayPal. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> oh, that's it, good to know. <laughs> and the product is really, you mean you could, as a designer, I you can tell when like something's been like getting a lot of love, <laughs> and you can tell it has been recently. All right. Yes, so I think everyone should use OneTouch. That's what we call. There's a little button when you check out with PayPal that says that you can click on and say, remember me. Mm -hmm. And then next time you check out, it's one step. Cool. I'll, I'll check it out. All right. So that's all we have time for today on episode uh, 26 of Design EDU Today. I want to thank today's guest, Dorel Rabinowitz, for being so generous with her time. I want to thank the audience for listening. And I want to thank the Design EDU Today hosting sponsor, DigitalOcean, and CDN sponsor, Fastly, for making the hosting and distribution of these podcasts possible. Finally, I want to thank the AIGA and the AIGA Design Educators community for their generous support of my research that led to this podcast series. If you want to discover more about the Design EDU Today podcast and read the session notes and transcripts, visit us on the web at designedu.today. You can follow us on Twitter at DesignEDU today, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to this podcast through the iTunes or Google Play Store. Thank you for listening to DesignEDU today. <laughs>